0: Amen. Let's all take your hymnals. Come over to hymn number 164. Hymn number 164. 41 sweet boy my The angry crowd cried
1: out to crucify they nailed him to a rugged cross and
2: Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate that song. I like uh, that, that uh, phrase in there. Time has never changed the changeless one. That's, that is a blessing, and uh, if, uh, I hope that you were blessed by that. And I was just listening to a friend of mine preach, and uh, he talked about the uh, transition from uh, Elijah to Elisha. And uh, they were different guys, but it's the same God. And the same God that uh, Elijah ministered to and the same God that uh, Elisha ministered to is the same one that we minister to and the same one that helped them is the same one that helps us. And so I uh, so appreciate that um, I appreciate the opportunity to preach. I hate that it's because pastor's sick, and so be sure to keep him in prayer, uh, very, feeling very under the weather and uh, so be sure to be in prayer for him, but I always appreciate the opportunity and so uh, we're going to continue on in our uh, in our study of the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we're doing on Wednesday nights with the teenagers and uh, had a opportunity to have some random ones in here, and so uh, some Random pieces of the puzzle are coming through, but look at Matthew chapter 7, if you would please. And uh, last week we finished chapter 6, with, or a couple of weeks ago, uh, finished chapter 6 with the teenagers and talked about having radical priorities and that uh, our priority in life ought to be um, the, the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all the other stuff will be taken care of. Uh, but how often is it that we uh, are anxious over the things that will be taken care of? Uh, instead of being concerned with God and the kingdom. And uh, as we seek Him first, then all those things will be taken care of. And so we talked about radical priorities last week. This week we're going to talk about this, radical judgment, radical judgment. And uh, we're going to read the first five verses here of chapter 7, and uh, then we'll, we'll get into it. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Father, thanks so much for everything you've given to us. Please uh, help us in this time as we look into your word. Uh, Lord, I ask you would please uh, speak to our hearts, help us to have some clarity about uh, this uh, often misunderstood verse, uh, these mi- often misunderstood verses. And uh, Lord, I ask you to help us uh, to uh, understand what you have for us tonight. Uh, help us to become more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years, uh, John 3.16 was the most famous verse in the world, right? You'd see it at football games. They'd put it on posters and hold it up on national television even. And uh, people would print it everywhere. Even people that didn't have a spiritual understanding of it. Uh, would, would post it places, and they would, they would claim to that, cling to that verse as though it meant something to them. And it seems that as our culture is, has changed in the last number of years, that uh, probably a more common verse would be the first two words of our first verse here, and not even the entire verse, just the first two words, uh, that the most famous verse is judge not. And uh, we see this everywhere, and you'll, I'm sure that maybe you've encountered it as you've talked to people about Christ, that people have said, well, why are you judging me? Judge Doesn't the Bible say, "Judge not"? Don't they say? Doesn't it say that? Right? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've experienced that. And uh, and so we see that it seems that this is the most famous thing. But the but the problem is, is that it's pretty pretty much misunderstood and misapplied in, in almost every way that the world uses it. And, and I, don't, uh, I don't judge them for that. They, don't, they can't have understanding. We see that from Second uh, from Corinthians, that the natural man receives not the things of God. And so we understand that they can't have a clear judgment of what their verse means. Uh, but I hope that we can uh, hopefully learn a little bit about it tonight. And so we see the first couple of verses, this, that, the, that there is a command to refrain from judgment. Uh, it's pretty clear that Jesus does say that. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, and so, uh, I hope that you're asking this question, uh, what does judgment mean? That's a good question to ask, because that, that would really uh, change the entire thing, right? That would change the meaning of the verse, if, if judgment meant something different than what we think. And so, judgment is not, in this case, let's start this with this. Judgment is not, in this case, having discernment, okay? Jesus wants us to have discernment. He does. Uh, we see that in this own chapter, in Matthew Look at verse number 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. How do you know it's a false prophet? Through discernment, right? So Jesus is not talking about discernment. And by discernment, I mean distinguishing one thing from another, right? There's, there's, there are different, uh, there's different levels of this, right? You could, uh, Jay, what color is my suit tonight? Navy? Don't judge me. I'm just kidding, right? No, he's distinguishing, right? This is, not a, this is not a gray suit. It's not a black suit. He distinguished. He had discernment for what color my suit was. We, we do this all the time, right? Uh, we, what, what colors to wear, where to eat. We have to make a discernment, right? If you're discerning anything other than Chick-fil-A, you're wrong. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, discernment, though. And Jesus desires for us to have discernment. So that can't be what judgment means in this case. Uh, he desires for us to have discernment. So what does judgment mean then? In this case, it means this. To condemn or to declare irretrievably guilty. That's what judgment means. To declare as irretrievably guilty. That no matter what you do, there is no possible hope for you to be forgiven. That's what judgment means here. Uh, To condemn is... And and we see that this is what Jesus' enemies did to him, isn't it? They, They declared him irretrievably guilty. He wasn't. He had, no, he, had, he had no spot of guilt in him, but they declared him as such. And because of that, he, and through that process, he gave his life on the cross. And, and, uh, and you understand all that, that. That's what Jesus' enemies did to him. They declared him as irretrievably guilty, uh, and, they, and they condemned him. They judged him in the ultimate sense. They, they declared him irretrievably guilty. To condemn is, is to devalue a person. To condemn them means to devalue them. Because here's what condemn means. And maybe you wouldn't really say this in your mind, but just hang with me. To condemn means this. It's like saying this. Because they are wrong, I think that God should not love them or at least punish them. Because I said so. That's what to condemn means. To condemn, to pass judgment on. I think that they are wrong, therefore God should punish that person. That's what condemnation means. And that's what Jesus means here when he says to judge not. That you be not judged. Uh, So we, and I'm sure that you would never say that out loud, but that's what it means to condemn somebody, to declare as irretrievably guilty with no hope. Uh, And so why do we judge this way? Well, because we have wicked hearts. We're wicked on the inside. Now, God has a, God has redeemed us and there's hope for us, but we still have the sin nature inside of us. And sometimes it rears its ugly head, doesn't it? Just for me. Okay. I'm alone here, it, just, just, in, just in my life, right? No, I, I hope not. I hope that you would at least agree that, that your flesh sometimes hinders your life. Your, your flesh causes you to judge people. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, and so our approach, uh, we learned this from, from verse number two, that our approach to judging others will be how others approach judgment toward us. That's what Jesus says there. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Uh, When we have a condemning approach to other people, we will be condemned. When we have a hateful or vengeful spirit to others, we will receive hate. I think we see this even in our own state. One of the most hated churches in America is the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Right? Why is that? Well, because, and I hate to even say it, but this is the prime example. Their website name is godhatesfags.com. Why do you think they receive the hate that they do? Because they are hateful and vengeful. And they're prideful about it. That's another issue for another time. They're prideful about it. I was looking at their website today, and uh, according to their own website, they started that church 31 years ago, and in the past 31 years, they have picketed different events and different things 71,531 times in 31 years. That's like 2,300 times a year. That math is inexplainable to me. That's like six a day, yeah. right? That's like seven a day. That's nuts. But that's why they're the most hated church in America. Because they are vengeful by nature. And they are hateful by nature. And, and, and I won't go any more on that. But people despise this church. Why? Because of the type of judgment that they pass on other people. Now, some of their stances are not wrong. You have to understand that some of them, not all of them are right. Some of them are right, but that doesn't mean that they are doing it in the right spirit. They're doing it in a terrible spirit. And so why does Jesus command us to refrain from this type of judgment? Why does he, why does he tell us to do this? Well, uh, we see this in verse 3 through 5. I'll read it again here. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or, how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out, o- uh, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. <clears throat> I don't often do this, but uh, if I could have uh, Preston and Caleb come up here for a second. <clears throat> just to help us get a little bit of understanding where, we're, where Jesus is coming from. <laughs> you can switch if you think that's too heavy, Caleb. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we... S- Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Act act like those are in your eye. (laughs) Do you see how ridiculous this is? Right? Jesus is talking about the people who pass judgment in this way, like Caleb. Right? This is who he's preaching against. That this guy has a literal beam sticking out of his head. Massive, right? It's a 6 by 4 beam. Found it in the garage, laying around. And uh, it's sticking out of his eye. But then he has a judgmental spirit and says to Preston, Hey Preston, you got something in your eye, buddy. You should really take care of that. Right? You're laughing. And I think Jesus intended it that way. I think it was a humorous illustration of a pretty serious principle. You guys can, I'll have those back. Thank you. Oh, good job. Good job. Right? I'll leave that right there for us to remember it. And <clears throat> Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Caleb says to Preston, Hey, Preston, you got something in your eye, man. Have you ever considered that? But all the while, it doesn't matter to him at all That he has a 6 by 4 sticking out of his face. It doesn't matter to him. He considers it not. right. That's that's the the phrase Jesus uses. He doesn't consider it even. It it doesn't even register in his head. That there's a beam sticking out of his his eye. But he's passing judgment on Preston. Who's got a little sliver sticking out of his eye. Not only do they not consider it. But then also Caleb says. Preston you should really take that out. That's really a problem, and you should really, maybe you should get some tweezers. Maybe you, sh- you should probably go to a doctor, because uh, that's a pretty serious issue, right? A splinter right in your eye. That's pretty serious. You should really get that taken care of. You should really have someone look at that. All the while, he's not making any doctor's appointments for himself. He's not asking Miss Alice, hey, Mom, um, is there something going on here that I need to take care of? It doesn't cross his mind. He's, he's passing judgment in that way. How wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Um, somebody help me out. What's the uh, phrase that is on uh, the, side, the side mirrors of your car? Somebody help me out. Objects in mirror are closer than they appear, right? I think as we look through the Bible, we're given, a, we're given a, a failure mirror that says this. Sin is closer to your life than it appears. Sin is closer than it appears. Because it's not about what your brother's doing. It's not about what other disciples of the kingdom are doing. It's about what you're doing. Not in a selfish way, but in a self-examination way. Of understanding where we're really at. And passing judgment on ourself instead of on our brother. Um, Notice what Jesus was... I I think we can see this that as we consider this in the Sermon on the Mount context that Jesus was calling out the self-righteous attitude of the Pharisees. Uh, That's pretty obvious, right? Uh, This was what the Pharisees were known for. We see it multiple times through the Gospels and and Jesus even says, You're worried about what my disciples are doing, but you have forgone the weightier matters of the law. Right. That's what Jesus said to them. He said, you're you're missing the point. The goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to develop disciples that have a a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. And that's a righteousness that is void of hypocrisy. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is for. The, The righteousness that we have would not be a righteousness that is external only, but that is internal in nature. And that as Jesus has righteousness and imputes righteousness to us on the inside, that that righteousness will naturally come out. But it's not only about the outside. It's about the inside. That's where it starts. It has to start there. Otherwise, it's not real. Uh, Otherwise, it's hypocritical. the The Pharisees blatantly had beams in their eyes that they were proud of. And all the while, they were calling out the specks in other people's eyes. They were proud of it. Look at us. Remember the, remember the story that Jesus told? The Pharisee came into the temple and said, uh, God, I thank thee that I am not as this publican. And yet it was a Pharisee. The epitome of hypocrisy. The epitome of unrighteousness. Uh, one person said this, Man's jealous and envious heart wishes that there may be no good quality found in himself that he alone may be esteemed. He wishes he was the only righteous one. That's, that's what our hearts do. We wish that nobody else was righteous except us, so that we could be above everyone, so that we could put everybody down. Romans chapter number two speaks of this. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and does the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Why do we judge other people? Because we think that it'll help us so that God won't judge us. We try to, tr- we try to transit the... The judgment from us to other people. but god That's not what God desires. That's not what Jesus desires for his disciples. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, how many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer a, uh, in, in World War II? And if anyone knew about the evils of humanity, it was Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said this, If we are on the lookout for evil in others, our real motive is obviously to justify ourselves. For we are seeking to escape punishment for our own sins by passing judgment on others. That's why we do it. To make ourselves feel better. To push others down and to pull ourselves up. To pass judgment on others. So that we can be esteemed. Notice uh, why Jesus tells us to judge not. Because we need self-examination. Verse number 5. Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye. And then shalt thou see clearly. To cast out the mow out of thy brother's eye. Uh, so maybe you're asking... So, Brother Chuck, what, uh, what sins are on the beam and which sins are on the speck? Well, I'm glad you asked. And if you did ask that, you've missed the point. It's not about the beam and the speck and what sins are written on which one. That's not what it's about. The point is not to call out specific sins and grade which ones are worse. The point is to call ourselves to self-examination. And that results in seeking grace from God and giving grace to other people. It's not about what's written on which one. It's about understanding that we stand in need of grace just as much or more than any other person. That's what we stand in need of. There are two extremes to this self-examination because that's what we need to do. We need to self-examine. We need to ask ourselves, God, what do you see in my life that I need to get rid of? Which beam do I have? Which speck do I have uh, that I need to get rid of? Uh, But there's two extremes to it, though. There's the deception of sh- of shallow examination, right? We come to church and we even we hear preaching or we read God's word and we say, "Oh, you know what? I'm actually not that bad," right? Oh, a few years ago we were at, we were uh, hanging out with some friends uh, from uh, New Mexico. We were at their house eating supper and you know, we had all just attended a uh, marriage conference a couple of uh, months a couple of weeks before that. And uh, so we were kind of talking and, uh, you know, asking how the Lord had worked in, in each other's hearts and, and how, how uh, God had worked in their marriages and stuff. And uh, there was a, uh, a, a, a guy there and his wife. And uh, so we asked him and he was telling us the story. And he said that on the way home, he was talking to uh, his wife and he said, you know what? I think we're good. And he was serious. That's, that's the deception of shallow examination. We come to God, and we come to, or we come to church, or we come to His Word, and He and we read it. Even we we we, we uh, ingest the words, and we see what He's saying. But we're good, right? We go to our car and we get our food to come back for brown bag, and all the while, God is trying to speak to us, but we're blocking Him, saying we're fine. The, sh- the deception of sa- shallow examination, but also, but also there's another side to that, and that's this: that there's a uh, one person called it this: a perpetual autopsy, right? Where we think that there's no hope for us, that we're just standing looking at a dead body, and there's no hope for revival. But the fact is that God does want it. The fact is that God does want to have grace on you, and God does want you to grow in grace and the knowledge of Him. And so there's there's both. There's either saying no, we're fine, or there's the other side of it, which is saying there's no hope for us. But they're both ditches on the opposite sides of the road. There's, there's a middle ground where we need to go, and that's this. Uh, understanding where we are and what God has told us that, that we truly are and accepting the fact that God has grace for you and God has grace for me in those things. And he wants us to change, and there is hope. And so why should we examine ourselves? Why, why should we? Why should we take the time to examine, to, to see what the beam is in our own eye? Why should we do that? <clears throat> because we can be cleansed from sin, we can be. There is forgiveness for you, Brother Humbert talked about that a little bit. That, uh, Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness and hope and cleansing for the people of God. There is a cleansing available. But also, as we are cleansed from sin, then we are able. Then we are able to help others better. Then we are able to. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 says this. uh, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What is the criteria for helping a brother taken in a fault? Ye which are spiritual and in the spirit of meekness. If we're not spiritual and if we're not in a spirit of meekness, we're we're not really in a place to help. We really aren't. Because we have a beam in our head We can't see their faults We can't see how God wants us to help them And so That's, uh, that's why we need a, an examination A self-examination The title of my message tonight is Radical Judgment But if I were to title it any other way I would say it would be this It's time for an inspection It's time for an inspection Right? It's punny It's okay to laugh on a Wednesday night it's time for an inspection. But it's true, though. It is a pun, but it's true. It's time to look inside. Not to look at your brother. Not to pass ear... Uh, uh, um, what's, what's the phrase? Um, ir, uh, uh Oh, man, I messed it up. Uh, irretrievable. Thank you, Miss Alice. Irretrievable guilt, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to pass irretrievable guilt. We're supposed to examine ourselves. Say, God, what is it about me? that needs to change. Was it about me that needs to be forgiven so that I can help other people? We need to look on the inside and pray earnestly as David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and then this and lead me in the way of life everlasting. Search me. Don't search my brother. Search me. A self-examination. That when we are cleansed, we are able to help other people. Judge not, they be not judged. Father, thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I thank you so much for uh, your teaching to us in the in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Father, I ask you to help us that we would not be hypocrites. Uh, Lord, it's a harsh word, but that's the word that you use to describe those who would be the disciples of you. Those who would be in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us not to be hypocrites, but help us to pass righteous judgment on ourselves that we might then be a help to other people father help us in this time of invitation and lord i ask you to speak to our hearts we ask this in jesus name amen if you would stand stand together please the piano will begin to play are you in need of a self-examination tonight are you in need of looking inside that you might be a help to other people after that's cleansed as brother charlie will sing verse number one of i surrender all Be seated as Brother James comes forward uh, to do our announcements. If you need a prayer guide...